This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you got to grow up sometime. Hey everyone, you know what it's time for? Swans Crossing! You know what I can tell? You do a podcast voice. Like, what, there's a point at which you're like, I am, I am. I'm on. I am on. I am now mentally recording this. <laughs> well, um, I, I actually have been thinking about clever ways to promote my books. And I was like, maybe I should start another podcast when this one's over. But with better production values. And, and maybe maybe a more interesting premise. There is nothing more interesting than Swans Crossing. How dare you, I, sir? I How dare you? I think if we go a single episode with it, without you telling me how dare I. <laughs> but... Okay, well, speaking of Swans Crossing, this has got to grow up sometime. A Swans Crossing retrospective. I'm Libby Grant. I'm Nathan Kessler-Jeffrey. We watched episode 49. I am so excited to talk about this episode. A lot happened. I'm I'm very excited to talk about the thumbnail. <laughs> talk about the thumbnail, do it. No, no, you got to do predictions first. Oh, yeah, that's right. We do predictions first. It's been a little while since we recorded. It's been a couple weeks for us. A lot of things happened. Uh, Shinzo Abe got assassinated yesterday. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to laugh at that. It's terrible. It's just that this world is a dumpster fire right now. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, things have happened, and here we are, still talking about this fucking TV show. Your predictions from last week. Callie, Jimmy, and Saja would be back in this episode. Maybe Sandy and Owen, too. You nailed it! I did. I did. The Hot Rocks investigation would commence? I mean, kinda, yeah. Hot Rocks. We've got some Hot Rocks stuff. Some Hot Rocks action. Wow. It's <laughs> so, such a funny string of words to come out of one's mouth. It is. You predicted there would be more Baldies and more Barrick, also correct. Yep. There would be scenes in the Tool and Die and in the studio because the swan set is used for the hospital, correct. Yep. Owen would be oblivious to the fact that Billy Gunn despises him and would try to put something together before Billy leaves town. That didn't happen, but we did have Owen working on music. That's true. That's true. Also, thank God, no Billy Gunn in this episode. So relieved. Billy, you predicted that Billy would still be here in this episode, but uh, who would he be talking to since he's broken up with Mila and Sydney has spurned him? Maybe Sandy or Nancy. Thank God that did not happen. There's not even, he's barely even mentioned. Yeah. Like, there is no, I got Billy on the plane, he's out, thank goodness we don't have to worry about him anymore. Yeah. Nothing. Just, just no more Billy Gun. It's great. And finally, you figured there would be follow-up on the secret admirer plot between Garrett and Mila with Sydney as their mule. That was also correct! Crushed it. Wow, crushed it. All right, thumbnails. Okay, let's talk about the thumbnail. We are apparently at a table in the Rutledge house. We see the princess phone on the table in the foreground and two upholstered dining room chairs next to the table. Sydney seems to be talking to someone off-camera left. Uh, And Nancy is standing there in a blue sweatshirt with a logo of a jumping horse i was like nancy what are you doing where is the blazer nancy oh (laughs) 
Nancy without her blazer is like, I don't know, like a dog without its tail. It's how, just, it's wrong. How do we even recognize her? Where is my character consistency? <laughs> we open on a split screen of Sydney and Mila on their respective phones. Mila is pumping Sydney for info about her alleged secret admirer. Who has recently said, sent her a large box of chocolate mocha truffles. This is going to be important later. And when I say important, it's a relative term. <laughs> I, okay, why are the children in this show so stoked about mocha? When I was 14, I was not into the flavor of coffee. I mean, maybe because I was raised Mormon, but still. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was deeply, like, I had just discovered Frappuccinos at this uh. age and deeply into, like, Getting a caffeine buzz going. So, I get it. Was it like the most illicit thing you can do at that age? Yeah. Caffeine. Caffeine. (laughs) I'm doing drugs. Yeah, I feel so high. (laughs) Mila wonders how her secret admirer knew she loves chocolate mocha truffles, and Sydney mutters, probably a stab in the heart. I mean, dark. (laughs) Okay, as we all know. I am deeply familiar with the lore of Swan's Crossing, and I am absolutely certain that no chocolate mocha truffles was not a term of the cucking contract. So this is, how is this a stab, Sydney? I, I mean, I think all of Garrett's behavior at this point could constitute a stab in Sydney's heart. I guess, like, yeah. Pretty much everything. I suppose that's true. Sydney gets a call and switches over to Nancy, who is backed by hay bales, which is very good, <laughs> on a horse phone. Even more good. My notes just say Nancy is talking into a horse. Yep. She's literally <laughs> talking into this horse's genital region. That's where her mouth is. The horse's junk is where the sound goes in. Yep. The horse's junk is where the sound goes in is the perfect title for this episode. Nancy's pissed because she and Sydney were supposed to go riding that afternoon, but Sydney forgot. And she goes back to Mila to tell her she has to go. And Mila says... The Countess gave permission to Sid- for Sydney to come over to have dinner in Mila's palatial bedroom. Ooh! How is this being grounded? Well, you can have people over, you just can't leave. You're locked in. Literally locked in. So stupid. Uh, back to Nancy. Nancy's all, you stood me up. And Sydney's like, no I didn't. I just didn't show. <laughs> That's the actual <laughs> definition of standing someone up. Nancy is rightfully super pissed. And she reminds Sydney that she's supposed to have dinner with Nancy and her family at the club that night. And Sydney forgot about that too. We have not talked about Nancy's family at all. I want to meet the two people whose genetics came together (laughs) to produce Nancy. I have a feeling that Nancy, as we know her, is more a problem of nurture than nature. Mm. I think Mm -hmm. Nancy was raised to be a psychopath. That, like, passive-aggressive criticism is just a staple of Nancy's household. Do we even know Nancy's last name? Um, yeah, it happens somewhere in the show, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. It's not okay. Fowler, that's Owen. Nancy asks where Sydney's head is this, these days. Sydney says, on a platter, and then she just hangs up on Nancy. We get no resolution on the riding, no resolution on dinner. Like, what is Nancy supposed to do? So ridiculous. Also, this is, it is obviously for the writing that Nancy is wearing this essentially like sweatsuit <laughs> matching top and bottom with the horse logo. I, again, I'm not a rich person, but I think rich people wear, like have a particular thing that they wear to go riding in. I think it involves jodhpurs. 
Well, yeah, I mean, as we saw in the very first episode, when Sydney came home from horse riding camp, she was all decked out in, like, a hunt suit. So, yeah. 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 With a little helmet. Right. Uh, Nancy has none of that. No. Nancy, I guess, is more casual about her equestrianism. After she jumped a horse over her back, <laughs> her parents were like, no more. None, no more of this for you. But really, after you've jumped a horse over your bed, where do you go from there? That's you know? true. Like, there's nowhere but down. That's the pinnacle. <laughs> Cut to Neil's hospital room. Somehow he has convinced his medical care team that he should be allowed to move a computer into his room. So he's got the monitor over on his little side table, the keyboard up on the little food tray thingy, and then like books and printouts and magazines all over the damn place. My favorite thing about this section is that I think that keyboard is actually like an electric typewriter with the f with the front folded down because there is a big old like plastic area on the back of the keyboard that I think is actually a typewriter. I'm pretty sure you are correct about that. It's fantastic. Because I was looking at that going, like trying to think back to that era and like, is that how computers worked back then? Did you stack the monitor on top of the like back shelf of the keyboard thing? And I don't think you did. No, no. So... Yeah, I think it's an electric typewriter, which I love, by the way. I fucking love electric typewriters. Of course you do. You nerd. <laughs> They're so great for typing on. Uh, JT comes in. He asks whether girls grow up to be like their mothers. Such a strange... Like, this comment comes out of nowhere. It, it, and then... Th there's a lot in this scene that comes out of nowhere. <laughs> Essentially, Mrs. Booth said something really nice in the lobby. She's such a good person. And then Neil, who is completely uninterested in what JT is saying, <laughs> is like, yeah, so is Glory. And then the conversation is over. Yeah, it's <laughs> it so weird. so pointless. It goes nowhere. I mean, I guess they just need to give him a line to enter on, so whatever. Um, anyway, Neil has isolated part of the heat shield equation, whatever that means, and he and JT argue a bit about whether the equation needs work because it was just a mechanical failure during Neil's accident. Because Neil glued part of the heat shield together. What, with like Elmer's? What? <laughs> Did you know at, at like 12 years old, 12 to 15 years old, that other glues existed? <laughs> Because I didn't. I mean, maybe if you did models, you would know that that, like, super strong glue right. you can sniff existed. But <laughs> not, not that I ever sniffed glue. Gee. <laughs> oh, my gosh. JT is thinking darkly about the snake pit guys who got glory and wondering if they'll, they're still looking for Professor Van and whether they will come after the boys next. Neil is utterly convinced that the Professor Van charade is holding... Nice use of charade. Thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit it again later. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah, Neil feels like they're safe for the moment because what place is more secure than a hospital? And then JT says, "Are you thinking what I'm thinking?" And, and I, we never find out what that is. I immediately thought, "Well, yeah, right." But when are we gonna find a duck and hose at this time of night? <laughs> Because God. around this time in my life, that's what I was doing. I was watching the Animaniacs. Oh, indeed. We cut to Callie exiting the Booth Mansion. She yells for Saja, who comes karate kicking in from off screen. It is amazing. He asks if they'll ever unravel the mysteries they've discovered. And Callie seems pretty hopeful about the mystery of Barrick's cotton balls which she produces in their white paper bag. Oh my god, right? Ugh, these damn cotton balls. She says she's going to return them to Beric, because in so doing, she thinks she might learn the secret of what Beric actually does with the damn cotton balls. 
that's not going to happen. It's not a great plan. But um, okay. Uh, and as she's leaving, she asks if Saja checked around the what? I didn't get the word. Wharf? The moor? Is there a moor? There probably is. We're out walking on the moors. It's very gothic. It is. (laughs) Yeah, he he needed to check somewhere for more clues. What he did find was not cotton balls, but four Ninja Turtle band-aids all stuck together. First of all, gross. (laughs) Yeah. Secondly, I love love how these band-aids are stuck together in like a... A sort of geometric pattern, not wadded up like a normal used Band-Aid is. Yeah. Uh, Then we cut to Captain Baldy holding an ice pack to the side of his head. I'm not sure how he's been hurt. I think we're supposed to think it was in the explosion. Like maybe some debris hit him on his bald head. Okay. I don't know though. Um, But he's talking into a big radio headset thingy in his spooky Baldy room. And he tells the radio guy, whoever he's talking to on the radio, that he found traces of eutranium in the hot rocks he collected from the explosion site. The same kind that Professor Van works with. I like that there are different flavors of eutranium in this world. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) He turns around and sits at a desk piled with equipment. uh, And on the wall behind it it is a painting that looks like a cheap hotel room painting. (laughs) notice that and you can just sort of like make out a corner of it in the frame nice and then on top of the equipment is an open chinese food container which i love it's a really nice (laughs) touch of detail uh he removes the ice pack from his head and he says professor van disappeared without a trace and he reveals a bunch of ninja turtle band-aids on the side of his head ah that you never saw that coming oh Um, We get a slow push in on the Band-Aids at, like, such a close-up that Swans Crossing probably owed trademark fees to whoever owns Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Absolutely. You can very clearly see each of the turtles (laughs) on the Band-Aids. And and the last line in this scene is, Professor Van is tricky. He give me big, big headache. We get the theme song, and then when we come back from commercial, we're at the Tool and Die, and Barrack is tinkering and tonkering on something. He's wearing a white t-shirt, black jeans, very, you know, like, working man-esque. Jimmy comes in and notices that he's listening to Billy Gunn. And I was like, birds of a feather. <laughs> um, uh, he gets a bit inquisitive, and Barrack accuses him of being, like, Callie. It w- figures with all the hanging out that they've been doing, they they have started thinking alike or whatever. <laughs> and then Callie walks in and <laughs> Beric calls her the twin. Callie, understandably, is a little confused by this. Beric says that maybe Jimmy and Callie should stand next to each other and read each other's minds. I mean, this, it, this scene gets so awkward so fast, as do most scenes with Beric in them. Yeah, he's just like bad vibes. Uh, Kelly hands him the bag and tries to get him to talk about what he uses those cotton balls for, but Barrick isn't giving up any info, and Callie looks pissed. Yeah. My favorite thing about this is, is she goes, you left it at Swan's the day Glory disappeared. And and I'm like, Callie, why would you not just be like, here's your bag back? Right? Oh my gosh. (laughs) We cut to Owen's garage studio, which is practically (laughs) an empty set now. There is... First of all, again, Callie wanders on from camera left. Where is the door? <laughs> Secondly, there there is a carpet 
and the metal shelves, which have previously held all of his audio equipment, and a note on the floor. Right. Everything is gone except for the empty metal shelves. The drums are gone. The Casio is gone. All of the like recording equipment on the shelves is gone. Everything. The phone is gone. Just clean the place out. Uh, Sandy calls for Owen, looks around, picks up the note on the floor, and the note says he's working at Mila's place, so to come on over. We get a classic Sandy big eye roll and heavy sigh. <laughs> she crumples the note, throws it to the ground, and storms off. Uh, and then some sad, watery synth music womp womps as she goes. It's like... <laughs> It's great. That's exciting. That was really good. Thank you. I think you should put the actual music right after that. I will. To... And then people can compare how, yeah. how dead on I was. Excellent. We cut back to JT and Neil. They're figuring out how to secure the hospital room so they can use it for experiments. Yeah, uh, this involves apparently rerouting an EKG machine to create an early warning system. Obviously. <laughs> I mean, why uh, not? <laughs> and then and then <laughs> Neil re- realizes, Ram-cram, the doctor is sending him home tomorrow. Uh, How's he going to get this great workspace where people literally bring him food while he's working? <laughs> I know, he wants to stay in his spy-proof science bunker. And uh, we cut then to Mila's room, where Owen is hauling his entire drum kit, plus a bunch of other shit, which includes, for some reason, like a tin mask. Obviously. Out of the elevator on a cart. Like a one of those little red flyer carts. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Mila asks if, he, if he's moving in, and Owen says, hopefully, want me to? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got the... His... Drum kit is put on there with bungee cords. It's amazing. It's absolutely wonderful. Uh, Owen gets almost immediately distracted as Mila goes to the cart, walks away from it. Some kind of cowbell or something falls off of it. I think it's that metal mask. It clangs as it, as it falls. He runs over to the chocolates and starts biting into them one at a time, <laughs> looking for the coconut cream ones. And of course, they're all mocha. So he's essentially just like half eating all of Mila's chocolates. So gross. Did you know that there is a chocolate code so you can tell visually what kind of chocolate it is? You don't have to bite into it? I did. I, I think I am aware that this exists. What it is, beyond me. Few people know the secrets of the chocolate code. <laughs> and we are all sworn to secrecy, I will never tell. <laughs> the, the first rule of chocolate code, you don't talk about chocolate code. Owen and Mila flirt awkwardly via the lyrics to Vision and Polka Dot Pink. God, so weird. Uh, so gross. And Sandy comes dragging in despondently, looking as thoroughly depressed as ever. Can we talk about Sandy's outfit? Oh yes, let's. Like, would you like to describe it? So, we have seen this before, and it's yep. one of our favorite Sandy outfits. It's the one where, like, the top is white overalls, and the bottom is, like, a flowy kind of patchwork skirt, and then white t-shirt underneath it. But it's, I guess, maybe to make it look like Sandy's depressed, it's adjusted all weirdly, so the overalls are kind of, like, lopsided and... Funky, but not in a, an intentional way. And the other thing that's really helping that that depressed look is that she's essentially in combat boots. Yeah. Like, she's <laughs> clomping around <laughs> everywhere like like she's an elephant. I mean, it's just clomp, clomp, clomp across the set. It's amazing. Although, to be fair, in the early 90s, I wore combat boots all the time. 
with like components of overalls. Again, nothing wrong with combat boots, <laughs> right. and women should wear whatever they want to. But it looks very strange combined with the top. It does. It, it's a it's a it's a look. Mm. <laughs> it's a mm. choice. Yeah. Sandy wants to know why they're working here, and Owen says, "Cause our backup singer is grounded." And Sandy's like. Who cares? We're only rehearsing songs for the campaign concert. And then Owen springs on her that one of the songs they're doing is Vision in Polka Dot Pink. We get an excited, oh, Owen, from Mila. And then a grossed out, oh, Owen, from <laughs> Sandy. I'm with Sandy on this. That's a terrible song. I'm, I'm really wondering if they're trying to set up this idea that Mila thinks Owen is the secret admirer or not. Mayhap. We'll find out. Oh. We'll find out. Will we? Yes. Will we, Libby? We will. <laughs> okay. We cut to Sydney's house. Nancy is there, and she's lecturing Sydney about how utterly depressing she is, which I love. Oh my gosh. And she's, like, this this tracksuit she's in, it just <laughs> gives me so much life. It, it's phenomenal. It's got, got, like, a horse jumping over one of those, like steeplechase things. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Sydney is saying that she can't come to Nancy's, uh, to dinner with Nancy's family tonight because she has to do, quote, campaign stuff. Again, why are these adults relying on 14 and 15 year olds to get help with serious things like a Merrill campaign and cash flow problems? Yeah. <laughs> so odd. The other thing that Sydney says is that the candidates are in a dead heat in the polls. And that is just, again, so funny to me that the idea of polling in a place as small as Towns, Cro- Towns Crossing, Swans Crossing. Right, the famous Quinnipiac poll of how voters in Swans Crossing <laughs> are breaking in the mayoral camp. Campaign. Oh, oh my, my god. Oh, it's so good. Anyway, Nancy says Sydney is cracking under the strain because her nails are not perfect anymore. And she has to be perfect right now. <laughs> and this revelation perturbs Sydney to the very core of her being. She stares just off camera and bites one of her imperfect nails. And we cut to commercial. <laughs> we come back to JT and Neil explaining to the nurse that Neil is feeling terrible. The nurse leaves and they go over the symptoms that they've come up with that will keep Neil overnight for observation, but not involve any serious testing. (laughs) They want a couple more days in the hospital bed for Neil to do this work. Right, they figure if they can just squeeze out a few more days of research in the protection of their science bunker slash hospital room, they'll have UB2 be finished and the world will have its first self-perpetuating fuel. And then they're going to go like create it in the Atwater Cosmetics Lab. Right, which worked out great the first time yep, we tried absolutely. that. Absolutely. A new doctor comes in. Neil and JT are startled. Dr. Lamb. Dr. Lamb. And uh, we never see the doctor's face, at least not in these early scenes. Uh, they stare they start in on the charade. <laughs> I told you I was going to bring it back. Excellent. And we cut back to Nancy and Sydney. (laughs) Nancy is taking off to find someone who's more fun to hang out with. She says Sydney would do the same if she were in Nancy's shoes. And Sydney says she could never wear Nancy's shoes because her feet aren't big enough. This this snide back and forth goes on for a bit. uh, And uh, before Nancy leaves, Sandy strides into the room. (laughs) And Nancy looks at her and goes... Oh, joy. <laughs> My no 
would say Nancy is my favorite character in this entire show. Like, that's what I recorded for that scene. I, I, Nancy Love. There is there is literally no one better in this show. Nancy is absolutely fantastic. And the fact that this actress is not anywhere on social media just makes me even happier about it. I'm like, you got I out, know. Nancy. Good job. Christy Barbero, wherever you are, you are a genius and we salute you. Oh my gosh. Sandy, uh, oh wait, we already did that part. Let's see. Um... Sandy wants Sydney to do her a favor about Mila. <laughs> if we get a Brady Bunch. Mila, Mila, Mila. <laughs> That's so good. Is it always about Mila? Well. Sandy says she needs Sydney to convince Mila to convince Owen not to do Vision and Polka Dot Pink at the campaign concert. Oh my god, this is getting so complicated. How, are, how will we ever parse this out? <laughs> Sydney realizes that Sandy is just jealous over the song since Owen and Mila wrote it together. But Sandy says, no, it's because the song sucks. And it does. <laughs> yep. Yep. It is, it is not uh, talking sweet as honey. That's no, for sure. No. Sandy points out there are going to be a lot of big, important producers at this concert. Why? Why are big, important producers coming to Swan's Crossing to watch a concert at the conclusion of a mayoral race? Now, can we... Let, let's acknowledge for a hot second, though... That in a small town, the idea of big whatever, you know, ha has a different sort of meaning. You know, True. like anything can be big because anything is bigger than what we've got here. <laughs> yes. You know, these, these could be producers from Cleveland. Oh like, my God. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the big city. Totally. Sydney <laughs> um, suggests, sensibly enough, that Sandy should just tell Mila all this herself. And Sandy can't bring herself to do it. And says, and Sydney's like, what, I can do it? Well, like, yeah, I mean, she seems to enjoy being a dick to people. Yep. <laughs> Sandy even says, you can say things people don't usually say. <laughs> Sydney gets all upset and says, don't ask me to put one friend in front of the other. And then Sandy points out, well, you just met Mila, and we've been together from the day we were both born. And Sydney actually says, right now, Mila is more important to me than you are. Ouch! <laughs> Sandy looks properly stricken, and she says, A lot of times you've said stuff that hurt me, but nothing like now. Yeah, no shit, that was a low blow. That was not great. Uh, she leaves, crushed. Uh, Sydney takes a beat and says, I hate you, Garrett Booth. <laughs> Speaking of Booths, Glory <laughs> <laughs> Nice transition! Thank you. Glory wanders in because nobody knocks in this town. Garrett sent Glory over with some money for Sydney with the message that Sydney doesn't have to pay for everything. And Sydney tosses the money on the table with a bitter ha ha. And uh, Glory goes, You seem sad. <laughs> bad day, bad lifetime. Oh my gosh, <laughs> the melodrama here. So good. Glory suggests that maybe they should read some of JT's poetry together because that at least cheers her up when she's feeling blue. Uh. And Sydney lounges despondently on an extremely 90s floral love seat, which we've never seen before, and Glory begins to read. She reels off a fairly cute, if fairly standard, love poem and then offers to read another one, and Sydney looks like she's about to puke. <laughs> <laughs> we, we zoom in on Sydney's puke face and cut over to the tool and die where they're putting an engine back together, all three of them standing in uncomfortably close proximity. <laughs> Callie suggests maybe they should clean the engine up with some of those cotton balls, which Barrick refuses. He's like, give me a rag. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a rag would be more efficient. And affecting casualness, 
Callie asks what he uses those cotton balls for anyway. He cleaned the lifters on a bike and it worked so well he decided to stock up for the shop. And then Jimmy's like, hey, you did not use cotton balls to clean the lifters. You used a liquid cleaner. For some reason, Barrack looks like he just got caught murdering someone. <laughs> there's, there's a weird exchange as Barrack tries to gaslight Jimmy. <laughs> In the sa- and they're essentially not believing he saw something that he saw. And then the camera focuses in on Jimmy and Callie and we thankfully cut to commercial. <laughs> Barrick's scenes in this episode are the most awkward. They are so awkward. They're always awkward, but it, this is just like the, the writing is just so like non-cause and effect. It's like non-linear. Yeah. It is a problem for me as a writer. Um, when we come back from commercial, Neil and JT are yammering at the doctor who has his back turned carefully to the camera. The boys are trying to convince the doctor that Neil is infected with some kind of rare bacterium. The doctor finally agrees to let Neil stay for a few more days. And then he turns to the camera to reveal he's not really a doctor. He's one of the FBI guys who has also been tracking Professor Van Ah! Is this Garrett's former dad? It's not. Okay. It's the other guy. All of the FBI guys look the same to me. <laughs> That's racist. It is. At first I thought it was too, but no, actually it's, it's the other guy. Okay. Um, we've only had two FBI guys and one is Garrett's dad. All right. We cut back to the Rutledge Mansion. Gloria is still reading JT's poetry to oh Sydney, uh, and she asks what Sydney thinks. Sydney's like, "It's amazing that someone would write such a nice poem just for you." And then the phone rings. <laughs> Sydney answers, "It's Garrett, Ugh. and he wants an update on what the next step is for getting Mila to fall in love with her secret admirer." God, Garrett just needs a Xanax or something. He's constantly on this. Like, take a nap, dude. You're fine. Seriously. And Garrett asks, "What would make you fall in love with me?" And Sydney goes, the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> Sick burn, Sydney. Sick burn, Sid. <laughs> Garrett tries to pump her for a commitment of some kind of timeline, and Sydney just answers goodbye and hangs up on him, which is perfect. Lori notices that Sandy, uh, Sydney is upset, asks if there's a problem, and she lies that it's one of the stage contractors <laughs> that she's talking to. Oh, thank goodness we haven't like completely dropped the children erect the stage plot. <laughs> Glory hands Sydney a piece of paper from the notebook. It's a copy of one of JT's poems in case Sydney needs something to cheer her up. She seems sort of touched by this and thanks Glory, who heads out. And then <laughs> a picture frame behind Sydney falls onto her butt. I love it. <laughs> and then she just like pushes it back. She just like stays <laughs> right in character. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, the phone rings. It's Mila. She wants to know when Sydney will come over for dinner because she's starving. And she mentions that Owen has left after their rehearsal. And the rehearsal wasn't that great anyway because Mila wasn't that into it. And also, Owen ate all of her candy. The fuck, Owen? She kept hoping to hear some more about her secret admirer so she couldn't focus on vision in polka dot pink. I love that the writers were like, okay, it'll be funny if we load up this red flyer with all of Owen's stuff. But it's going to take forever to set it up in the other set. So let's just leave it in. We're just going to get this one shot. And then time passes. Yeah, and it all yeah, goes away. Exactly. But uh, that comment about Mila wanting more from her secret admirer gives Sydney an idea. She looks at the poem in her hand and says, I think you'll be hearing something pretty soon. Dun, dun, dun. Uh. We cut back to the tool and die. Jimmy is working on the engine. And Callie steps outside to meet Saja. 
no dice on the cotton ball thing uh, that Callie's been working on with Beric, except that Callie recognizes that he made up a reason for having the cotton balls. Yes, and she sort of noted that Jimmy seems to be starting to believe her a little bit that maybe something fishy is going on with Beric after all. Mm. And back in the shop, Jimmy works away on the engine while Beric wanders around the set behind him, staring guardedly at the oblivious Jimmy. Which is a great moment. The other thing about the previous scene that I love is that Callie and Saja just sort of stalk off away from the tool and die without having any conversation about where they're going. And I was like, are you just leaving in the middle of the work day? <laughs> yeah, I mean, why You're not? You're just out? The hours seem pretty loose at uh, the tool and die. <laughs> Back at the hospital, the FBI guy slash doctor is on the phone with another FBI guy. He says, our agent was right. They are children. Behind the FBI door, JT is making wild gestures at Neil off screen. Like, it is, there's, a, there's a huge pantomime conversation happening behind the FBI guy on the phone. Oh, so good. The incognito doctor says, right in front of JT... I cannot believe that these children are our only leads to Professor Van. Very smooth, very secretive. Yep. Well JT done. bumps into uh, Dr. FBI, <laughs> which is how I'm referring to him from now on, and apologizes. Dr. FBI says I, into the phone, I won't let them out of my sight. He hangs up the phone and stands behind JT, <laughs> leering down at him, taking notes in a notepad. <laughs> so good. JT just stands there in the middle of the space thinking and putting down a couple of words into another small notepad. We get the most boring freeze frame <laughs> that has happened in Swans Crossing to date. Uh, and oh, roll credits. It's so great. It's such a good ending. It's such a weird, weird ending to a weird episode. Oh my gosh. Ah. Next week is the Friday episode. Yeah. Libby, what's going to happen? No, never. No. Well, before we get into that, who was our psychopath of the week? Oh gosh, I didn't think about that at all. I kind of think it has to be Sydney because that was a pretty mean thing to say to Sandy. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody. I mean, Nancy is also incredibly passive aggressive. But yeah, I think Sydney's probably the way to go. Okay. Did we have a swan count? Uh, just one new swan in the credits, so that brings us to uh, one new fake swan, uh, zero new imaginary swans. Uh, sorry, total of four imaginary swans, 24 actual swans, and 119 other swans. Nice. Yeah. What are your predictions for next week? Okay, so I think Sydney gives Mila JT's poem saying that it's from her secret admirer, and Mila obviously loves it. Uh, JT and Neil keep working unaware that they're under observation from Dr. FBI, and maybe the doctor starts to figure out that it's the kids and not Professor Van, or goes deeply into like trying to figure out how they're communicating with Professor Van. One of those two things. At some point, Glory is going to find out Mila got one of JT's poems and be absolutely heartbroken. I think that's how we start the breakup that leads to JT in the unwritten season two, being with someone other than Glory. We find out whatever it is that Callie stormed off, off to, I have no idea. <laughs> Maybe to look for more evidence or something? I don't know. Uh, and I predict that we will have no more Swan Soda show up scenes until we're done at the hospital. I hope we, I hope we get one shot of Owen putting all of the stuff back into <laughs> the set. No explanation, no context, 
No scene. That would be hilarious. Just Owen unpacking the red flyer in the studio. Just oh. setting his drum kit back up again. Do, 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 adjusting it. Getting yeah. laid down there, testing the bass pedal, making sure it's set up right. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that was fun. Yeah. Thank you to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for the use of our theme song, Gotta Grow Up Sometime, from the hit show Swan's Crossing. And if you want to find us on social media... But, so, I can never do it right, even when I write it down. If you want to find us on social media, we're on Instagram at Swan's Cross Pod and on Twitter at Gotta Grow Up Pod. And until we meet again, friends, may you always speak clearly into the genitals of your horse. <laughs> <laughs> singer is grounded so what aren't we just rehearsing the songs for the campaign concert yeah and one of them is a uh, vision in polka dot pink oh owen oh owen sydney <laughs>